It's February. The season of love, everybody. It's time to kick off the month with a movie to set the mood. Or depression. And loneliness. And regrets. And, and, and sadness. And just wanting to... Just anyways, guys. Anyways, guys, welcome to the Mess Up at Midnight Podcast, the show that's here to cry and drink in a rainy and neon streets of Asia. I am your host, Max Dillon. As always, I'm the man. Who, uh, I'm joined by the man who will judge you if you haven't seen any Wong Kar Wai films. It's Michael Flaherty, everybody. Ugh, you sound like a plebeian who's only watched the Grandmaster. Oh God, get with the program, you, you, you peon. It's unless you've seen D- Chunking Express and Ashes of Time. Don't talk to me. You know, and the funny thing is, me and Mike were just literally talking, and the only Wong Kar Wai movie I have seen up until this movie was the Grandmaster. So you know. I'm going. To, I'm going to go down it's, that rabbit hole, and eventually, I'll be an entitled asshole, just like my co-host. Exactly. Exactly. It's mo- see cinema in movies, especially the, the artsy cinema. It's not about watching the movie; it's about gloating that you watched the movie, and it's also about gloating that you understood the movie. Exactly. Exactly. When you sit down and watch Seventh Seal. You, it's in, it's your duty to to look at the synopsis on Cliff Notes and then turn to the person next to you who hasn't seen it and then make fun of them for not knowing it. Well, anyways, guys, today we are talking about the 1995 Hong Kong neo noir crime comedy drama. That's a that's a mouthful. Fallen Angels. We follow two stories intertwined with themes of love. Loneliness, alienation, and human connection. One story dealing with a hitman trying to leave the criminal underworld whose agent is in love with him, and the other follows a mute ex-convict on the run from the police. Mike, what did you think of Fallen Angels? Okay, all right. We'll we'll get we'll, we'll put the serious stuff for the overall thoughts part of the movie. That's when we'll get really serious. But for now, I'm gonna say. Boy, between between sobs, this movie is fantastic. Between me blowing loudly into my Kleenex and crying as like as like great music is played, great movie, good movie. It's well paced. It's cool. It's funky. It's got the neon, so you already know my like monkey brain is is already invested in it. So yeah, it's it's a kick ass movie. It is a great movie. I'm actually curious how you felt about it because this was your first foray into it. Yeah, so this is a movie that Mike had seen before and I hadn't. And again, first foray, in, first, first foray into Wong Kar Wai. Can't, can't fucking talk tonight, guys. Uh, so after watching this movie, I got to say this again. This was a great, great fucking movie. Now, it is weird. And by weird, I mean like it's not like a usual movie that you've seen before. It's not shot the way that a movie is. They use very wide angle lenses and like small and like shots to and it kind of like distorts the face a little bit. It's not shot the same way a movie is. It doesn't have a story in the traditional sense. But because it's well executed with great cinematography, great acting, a unique story and again making you cry that's what makes this movie so memorable i will say though if someone if i hear someone say like that they didn't like this movie i'd get it 
it's not like for I mean, I'm sure if you were a casual moviegoer, you could sit down and watch this movie, but to really appreciate it, you need to be at least kind of a little bit experienced. So it definitely will take a little bit more than one watch to truly appreciate. Oh my god, it's happening, Mike. Did did you just big dog? Did you just you (laughs) yo okay? All right, everybody, stop the presses. We just became assholes about movies. This is big. This is big. We've been absorbing trash for so long that it's finally come to a head. We are officially jerks about movies. It's because I and you know the best part is I agree with you. I agree with you a hundred percent. You've got to watch it again and you have to, you cannot go cold into the movie. It is because if so, it is going to be a culture shock and a half, but damn, if you know what you're getting into, Oh my God. Yeah, dude. And I really think that like the part of the division from like, you know, (laughs) the casuals and the more experienced moviegoers is the director Wong Kar Wai. Now, he's got such a unique style with this movie. I'm not as familiar with the rest of his work, so I'll leave that for Mike to to be talking about. How would you describe the work of Wong Kar Wai? Wong Kar Wai's stuff... So, for, for context, what I've seen from Wong Kar Wai is I've seen Fallen Angels, I've seen Grandmaster, I've seen Chunking Express, and I've seen bits and pieces of In the Mood for Love, which is his third movie uh not third movie overall but third movie uh between after fallen angels and chunking express yeah uh one car Wai is such a freaking anomaly of a director in like a thousand ways mm-hmm. because starting off from an overall like story narrative perspective he, especially with Chunking Express and Fallen Angels, he doesn't follow the similar beats and patterns that you expect from your average movie. Like, it isn't hero's journey, person rejects offer of journey, fights and beats whatever the evil bad guy is and moves forward. Like, it does not do that at all. It, like, completely throws it out the window to to the best of its ability and it's and it's so interesting in its disjointedness. It feels like like the way that Pulp Fiction is is sort of p- disjointed, or Reservoir Dogs, or uh, Kill Bill. It's it, it, it's picked apart like that. And also on top of that, Wong Kar Wai's filming style is a sight to behold. Like honestly, like I'm not a person who is super technically involved with cinematography, and I was like literally like obsessing red string Pepe Sylvia about how the fuck did this dude get the shots that he got because they are jaw dropping, like jaw dropping. Yeah. I'll, I'll kind of talk a little bit about the, some of the cinematography when we get to like the, the details, but you did mention chunking express, which fallen angels was actually supposed to be part of uh, chunking express, but it got split up into two separate projects uh, he also said that these movies of Fallen Angels and Chunking Express should be seen together. So I, I guess I'm just going to have to find time now to watch Chunking Express and then let the whole world know, hey, I've seen a Wong Kar Wai movie. Isn't that cool, guys? Mm-hmm. Don't, don't you think I'm so much better than you all? Is, isn't that cool? Please, please. Exactly. Me. 
<laughs> you're like, please, please. Ro- After Roman Polanski got it, got booted out of Hollywood cinephile industry, we got to we got to pick up another guy. All right, Wonka or Why is going to be that dude? So let's just get to the ever. I really want to talk about this movie. So, Mike, let's just get to the ever most important question that we have here on this podcast. Ooh. If Fallen Angels was a drink, what would it be, and why? All right. Everybody, Fallen Angels is a movie that I personally adore. This, along with its uh, its uh, sister movie, uh, Chunking Express, I think is, honest to God, one of the best duos, duo movies, to have come out, period, full stop. Like, I hold these two movies in an incredibly high regard. Fallen Angels is a very bitter movie. There is a lot. It's showing the human experience and togetherness and the the innate human want to be close to people in some capacity. So with that, I'm going to make my cocktail pretty decently bitter because this movie, oh my God, is it bitter? Does it have spice? It is hard to swallow. But it's good. So we're going to start with three ounces of a stiff gin. You do not want like some cheap Hendrix New Amsterdam crap. You want some good gin and some strong gin. I don't know how strong they make gin, but you know, don't don't have it be drain cleaner strong. Just like just make it be a really strong gin. Three ounces. That also is going to play into uh, the hitman character who's our first main character in the movie. So he's a very strong, silent type of character. We'll get into more details on the characters themselves, but for now, the hitman, strong, silent, stiff gin, three ounces. Next, we have the hitman's counterpart and first love interest, which is his handler. She is... She is, uh, I feel like every Tumblr dream girl that I think, she fits so many of those bills. She's literally She has me. that, she has, she, she is the she's literally me version of like Ryan Gosling and Drive. Because she's got the haircut, she does that very sort of aloof sort of hand on the forehead, I'm too artsy for you sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So we're going to put in. A few dashes of jalapeno bitters. Plays well with the gin. It's its own thing. Adds spice. Adds bitterness. Does really well. Next, we have the other love interest. Played by uh, played by Karen Mock. She is, uh, she's blonde-haired, bright, spicy, change of pace for the hitman. And almost like a glimpse of what could have been for this hitman's life. For her, throw in a small, small bit of cayenne pepper. Because there's spice, but there's not an overwhelming amount of spice. There's just that, just enough to where it's there, and it really adds a certain dynamic to the drink. Next, we have The Mute, played by Takeshi Kaneshiro. I I believe that's who plays him. But he is one of my favorite characters in this movie he is fantastic 
he adds the sweetness that this movie desperately needs. Because you have hardcore people for so long, you need someone who's chipper, who isn't going to just make this movie just depressing and a giant drag. So half an ounce of pineapple simple syrup. You're going to understand the pineapples soon. Um, Finally, you have Charlie, who's the mute guy's love interest in the movie. She is, again, that extra splash of brightness, that person who is sort of that energy, the same kind of energy that Karen Mock's character, the blonde-haired girl, plays, but totally different. So for that, put in a splash of seltzer. Give it a little stir to incorporate, and that's my drink. You went down a spicy route for a second. You said you started off saying like, "Oh yeah, this is going to be a bit of a bitter drink." Can we get some cayenne pepper? I was like, "Whoa, Jesus Christ!" <laughs> do we want, do you want me to make it seem like I ate a sour patch kid, or do you want me to have my mouth on fire? <laughs> the, 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 use, the use of the, the use of the jalapeno. What was it? The jalapeno um, bitters. Jalapeno bitters. I've ne- I've never heard of that before. I'm gonna have to check that out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's good. It's spicy and it's bitter. All right. Yeah, I feel like you're drinking. I would need to like just like that. This is definitely like a sipping drink, and I and I really think oh, this yeah. movie kind of f- classifies if it was a drink to be a sipping drink. So I I like it. I would mm-hmm. give it a shot. Again, with these good with these good movies, our job of making the cocktails it's a little bit harder because we're like I don't know why mm, we got to okay. We actually have to put forth a little bit more effort here. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. Let's see. Mike, I like it. Let me see. Let me see what I got. Okay. All this right. Was t- All this right. was a tough one, to be honest, because this movie is so like uniquely shot. We got a two story thing going on. It's abstract. Let's take a look at our base first. I'm going to agree with Mike, and I'm also going to say gin because it's serious and it, it's a little out there. Gin has always been like a, a drinker's alcohol, much how this movie is like a movie fans movie. So let's say. Two ounces of gin, good gin. Let's go, you know, top shelf. Very good. Next, we got to give this drink some visual pop because when I like to think of my drinks, I sometimes like to think of the way it would visually look too. This movie is neon. It's dark. It's rainy. And you know what that'll do? Let's add some creme de menthe. It's a little out there. Add, add in half an ounce of green creme de menthe. Now, I want to pause here for a second. I was here on my journey when I was trying to figure out what cocktail I was going to make, where I came across a cocktail on uh, mixthatdrink.com that features these ingredients I was coming up with called the Fallen Angel, which that that shocked me, uh, except on the except on mix that drink. They call for a quarter ounce of white creme de menthe. And in my drink, I'm saying we're adding in half an ounce of green creme de menthe and the rest of the drink called for. Uh, the juice of one lime and a dash of Angostura bitters. I think both of these do fit with this movie, but we're going to, you know, we'll switch things up when it comes to the bitters. But for now, juice of one lime, sure. I think this can be like, you know, the intangibles with the movie. If you want to add in, you know, um, the um, the man child's character, you know, the, the sweetness that Mike was talking about, I think that would also fit in. Squeeze in the uh, juice of one lime and Angostura bitters. I'm going to call for two, you know, two dashes for our two stories that we have in this movie, you know, because both of these stories are definitely not happy. And why not just 
another little one just for good measure. Mix up your drink, and then there you go. That's that's the fallen angel experience. Man, you found a freaking drink called the Fallen Angel. Damn, you, you, you. I was shocked by that. Hell I yeah. Like, okay. I was trying to think, okay, what could go well with like this gin and creme de menthe direction I'm going down? And I was like, Fallen Angel. I was like, oh, it's right fucking there. This is right like, fucking there. They're like, they literally just laid it out. Damn. All right. Sounds good. Dude, creme de menthe. I, I, creme de menthe is one of those uncharted territories for me where I just. Mm-hmm. I just have never had a creme de mint thing. The closest I've had is rumple mints, which scares me. So it's damn. I that sounds like a great freaking drink. Honestly, I feel like we both hit the nail on the head in different ways, but we both mm-hmm. got gin. Interesting. And I and I think that both of our drinks they do something like where the typical the typical person would not like the drinks that we are making, so therefore we are better than every everyone else. <laughs> Put your pinky up, kids. <laughs> I just realized, like the way that I'm going to be talking about this movie, it's going to make me sound like an entitled asshole, but I don't need it that way. <laughs> exactly. You're just kind of like, damn, this is really out there, and like the way we're praising it is, you know, to be a real Rick and Morty fan, you actually have to have a degree in physics. I guess <laughs> right, so go. Go crack open some gin. If you want it spicy, go with Mike's drink. If you want it minty, go with my drink. And let's talk about Fallen Angels. So, guys, this is a brand new format. We're going to be talking about the positives, the negatives, and giving our overall opinions. And then we're going to get right into spoiler territory. And we're going to be sticking on the positives because we, we don't talk about a lot of good movies on this podcast. So I'm relishing to talk about an actually good one. I want to start off by talking about the first thing I noticed with this movie, and that was the cinematography. Jesus Christ, this movie looks so, so good. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's magnificent. It is, it is that bright neon saturation that you're looking for in like these kind of gritty noir movies, but it also has the same feeling of desaturation. Like it feels like every, all the neon lights, they, they add in that color, but the rest of the Hong Kong background, the way Wong Kar Wai shoots it, it's just, just all fades away. So that all is left is that sort of bright neon, that sort of empty Hong Kong background. And then just the characters themselves. It's so fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the first scene, this isn't a spoiler. The first scene, we just see a woman walking through a train station. And I had to stop and be like, oh, yeah, this looks fucking fire. We get, like, wide-angle lenses, a bit of, a little bit of distortion around the edges, very unique framing. The camera, it moves like a person. Like, there's not, like, really mm-hmm. smooth movements. It, it feels handheld and, like, some, like, you're walking along with whatever character is there, like you're listening to their conversation, it just feels frantic. It looks so unique. And the color is absolutely fire with this movie. It's, I think that this is, this is, that's one of the hallmarks, I believe of the chunking express and fallen angels, specifically with fallen angels for the coloring, but that cinematography, that use of the wide angle, that sort of, that mix of, coloring as well as the sort of frenetic nature Mm -hmm. 
and I'm I'm pulling out the big words, but the the frenetic nature of it. Well, yeah. exactly. It's you know what we're talking about a good movie. It's time to get the pinky up, baby. But <laughs> it's 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 both frenetic and calm at the exact same time. And I think that's really freaking difficult to pull off. And it's helped by not only the setting being Hong Kong, but also the fact that like the way Wong Kar Wai moves the camera, like you said, isn't natural in that it's a smooth ride the entire way. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it bumps, it turns, it twists, it shakes. Like it's very natural like a natural head movement without actually looking like a dumb found footage movie and with this we get also get very good visual storytelling we get shots in this movie that tells us everything we need to know about the characters and like i mean there's one scene that takes place on a bus between the hitman character and an old classmate of his where the hitman's like in the front of this in the foreground and the friend and the classmates in the background and just the way that it the scene plays out in the cinematography the sound and the acting it just brings everything together and it intrigues and intrigues us and brings us in on what's going on like it's just masterful masterful filmmaking what i think is also really good about it is that it shows isolation in crowds Oh yeah. Which again, that's not new ground. Like like Wong Kar Wai is not treading new territory with it, but it it's something that still is worth pointing out. The fact that you can have these characters on a bus with people, like a lot of people, and even talking to people, but the way that it's shot, you're almost separating the characters. Like, like it, it, there's no togetherness. It feels like the characters are all sort of, it feels like it manages to make everyone, all of the non-speaking characters feel like NPCs. Like, I can't phrase it another way. Like, they genuinely feel like, they genuinely push that NPC boundary with yeah, having some, characters talk to the main characters. Yeah, somehow this movie, it like, it feels like you're in a big sprawling city, but you're tight, but you're like uptight with the character and there's, and you make them feel so isolated. It's like, like there's one location of a freaking empty McDonald's, which I'm like, okay, that felt very trippy with the camera lens with nobody being in there, except for these two characters. Side note. That's how I also knew this was a movie because the McDonald's was totally fucking empty. Yeah, um, exactly. But, like that's they, I just saw that it was like, ain't no damn way a McDonald's is empty. <laughs> but also there was this tunnel as well. It was like so cool looking. It's a, it's kind of they kind of come back to it a lot throughout the movie. It feels like you're like trapped in a grainy lo-fi video as you're going through this tunnel. Oh yeah, exactly. It feels like it feels like a uh it feels like a really good like blender animation. It has that stillness about it. Like if you've ever watched those those backroom videos where it's that stillness and you're like kind of like, oh, this is weirdly still. Like that's just natural. That's just how they freaking set up the camera and how they manage to shoot it. It's it's so still, but it feels natural. It's really, really impressive. Like I I could gawk at it all day. And also, another thing about about the shots, one piece of context that's worth noting is Fallen Angels and Chunking Express are are sort of emblematic of a full day cycle. 
Mm-hmm. Chunking Express takes place almost entirely in the sunlight. Chunking uh, Fallen Angels takes place almost entirely at nighttime. And yeah. as a result, the two movies are managing to play to that sort of effect incredibly well based on the story that is going on. Yeah, I think the best way to describe the visuals of Fallen Angels is if an international award-winning cinematographer decided to shoot a skateboarding video in Hong Kong without any skating. Oh, yeah, exactly. There's no Goldfinger around here. Yeah, it's it's literally just like they brought Tony Hawk all the way out to Hong Kong and was like, actually, tell me – they just point the camera at him and be like, tell me about your last relationship. How did – how did <laughs> they just goes – they just – I just like the idea. They just turn – Tony's like, all right, I'm ready to hit the – ready to hit the half pipe. And they go, no, 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 Tony. Have you ever had problems with drugs? He's like, what? <laughs> You're like, yeah. I mean, come on. The the fame at such a young age, it had to have gotten to you. And he's like, well, it, yeah. <laughs> You're like, it's just, it's that energy. It's that energy. <laughs> well, dude, let's move on from the visuals. And let's talk about the script. It, this mm. is a movie really without like a narrative. Whereas like, there's no like point A, point B plot that happens. It's work, but it's more so like these characters going through their lives and their slow downfall. It, But it mm-hmm. works because this world that has been built is so interesting. You just want to learn more about the characters. It, 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 you're just watching shady people trying to find purpose in life, like kind of like this podcast. Uh, exactly. And- exactly. <laughs> And there's also it also you know talks a lot about like lonely like the loneliness epidemic. I think that because of how this movie addresses its characters' loneliness, I think it still makes for good viewing even in 2024. You know we're we're still recovering from that like COVID thing, um, and we're still you know dealing with that loneliness, kind of like this podcast. Um, oh, I'm not mm, doing sad. okay. I'm not doing <laughs> exactly you're kind of sitting there just just was like hmm i love escapism <laughs> as, you're, as you're sitting there behind your screen no i i absolutely agree the story this is like a master class in character building Wonka, what wonkar Wai and the writers of fallen angels have done and i, I could just be literally just wonkar Wai, um but These characters have been written so fantastically. Like, you know what they're thinking. You know how they're feeling. They don't need to talk. One of the main characters doesn't even fucking talk. Mm -hmm. He only, but he, he's able to ever, he's able to emote. And all of the other characters are able to sort of lay out their feelings and what they want out of their life. Mm-hmm. to where you're like i'm invested in what's going on here i want to know what you what happens with you because it, like exactly max it, there's no real plot it's not luke skywalker gotta kill darth vader sort of deal it's quite literally just i don't know he's a hitman he doesn't want to be a hitman and you're like well, shit what happens next it's fan fucking tastic fantastic <laughs> And on a bit more like a of a technical writing level, the words that they say 
this movie does something really cool and it'll it'll the lines will be said like at the beginning like one example is the hitman saying are we still partners and then he will say those lines later in the movie and those same words carry a different weight because of what happened like ming the hitman continually referring to himself as too lazy like at one point like oh that's a cool you know little character beat and then like you know later in the movie you're like oh damn that are you doing okay man exactly exactly the way that the movie is able to have so much of their dialogue carry two separate meanings Mm -hmm. is so impressive and this is not me picking between the lines like just like just like my my co-host said the freaking i'm lazy thing carries two separate meanings on your second watch on your first watch you're kind of exactly you kind of go oh that's cool and then you go whoa and then on the second watch all of those things that people just say as one-off things or stuff that comes back carries entirely different meanings and it's all just you're just watching it and you kind of you you can see all of the characters are almost laying out what's going to happen mm-hmm. and you can with with the dialogue that they're saying and you can only really catch it on your second watch along yeah and a lot of the dialogue or the the words spoken in this movie it's not like the traditional person a talks to person b it does the voiceover monologue thing but with its genre and setting i'm okay with that i, I think it i think it works like again going back to the scene on the bus it plays out and then only after the scene is done we realize that the hitman who this you know he showed this guy he knew you know pictures of his wife and pictures of his kid turns out hitman doesn't even have any kids those are just people that he paid so if you watch it once and then the scene is done it hits you differently but then re-watching it you give it a different context when you know what's going to be happening you're like oh i i see him playing this character of someone who's well adjusted for this guy he used to know like mm-hmm. this movie is so mm-hmm. rewatchable it is it is i will say this and this is absolutely going to go into my freaking prose but i don't know where to worm it in so i'll worm it in here before we continue with the story this movie has such rewatchability holy mm-hmm. shit and it's not like the emotional points don't hit as hard oh my god they hit anything if not harder it, oh my god it's this movie has such rewatchability i cannot recommend it enough mm-hmm. what, what what other story aspects did you want to touch on mike i think what i'll say in terms of the story and this is a mixture of the characters themselves as well as the way the story is written and it plays out but the movie does an incredible job of essentially setting you up for heartbreak. Like, and I know that's going to sound very like bog standard, like, Oh, of course it's a sad movie. Of course it's going to do that. But it, it really sidelines you. Like it really does every single time because it's, it isn't like something where it's, you see the, like the mom in a movie cough and she's not doing well. And you're like, I know the mom's going to kick the bucket or it's not something where someone suddenly just gets a, gets a bullet in the head. 
that's not it. It's this weird nebulous middle ground where you're just awkwardly like sitting there going like, I love all these people. I've spent so much time watching these people and I've heard them monologue about how they want to be better and them almost become better. Mm-hmm. That just the entire time when something sad happens, it just hits you that much harder. Because I almost would argue that the way that the movie portrays that heartbreak or the way it builds up that heartbreak is so much more natural and as a result, real. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't sit there and just go, oh, she's not doing hot. It really just builds it up in a way that I feel like really, I don't know, it hits harder. It really does hit harder. Because with the characters, the mo- again, the movie does a great job of making the characters likable. So when you see them going towards their path of, you know, fixing their lives or getting out of this shitty situation they're in, they get brought back down to Earth and like, hey, you know, you're not, I'm not going to get better. You know, things are not, you know, things will not be getting better. And that really hits you, It re- you know, because as movie watchers, we are so used to the formula of like Mike said, OK, we see mom coughing. We're like, OK, we can see that a mile away. But, you know, they didn't really do a good job of setting up the mom character here. But these characters, they just feel so real and watching them face tragedy. It it sucks. It doesn't make for an easy watch, mm-hmm. but it makes for mm-hmm. a necessary watch because, again, this movie's so oh, yeah. freaking good. It's so, it's so good. Oh my God, it's so good. And I think this is a good transition into the characters themselves because I think that this movie, I've already talked about it. I already said it. It's a masterclass in character writing. But genuinely, the characters in this movie, they are, like, they're generally not great people. Like, they're, like generally speaking, you watch the characters and they're not good people. I mean, Not factually speaking, exactly. exactly. Okay, we're just, we're just a couple bad dudes <laughs> <laughs> just punching down. It's like it's like the there's a ladder going up and you just throw the ladder to the side. <laughs> you haven't even gotten up to the top. You just kick the ladder down. No, man, I see the ladder and I set the ladder on fire. Absolutely. And you're like, why would you set the ladder on fire, Mike? <laughs> like, you're right. But okay. It's the characters are so well-written and they're so human that amidst their sort of generally speaking bad characteristics, you still absolutely adore them. And this isn't like a Walter White thing where you're like, oh my God, he's a piece of shit and I'm watching him be a piece of shit, but I still want him to win. I think it's more human than that. I think it's not a matter of you're like, oh, you're the main character. So as a result, I want to see you like succeed at least a little bit. It's like you watch someone and you can almost personify them in a real sense. And you can go, dude, I know what's going on. I know what's going to happen. You can do better than this. You can you can get out of this. Like you actually are able to see realness in these characters. Yeah, they're past they're, past they're normal. Yeah, exactly. And I, but I, yeah, exactly. They're I guess if you boil it down, they're just relatable. But past just literally me or like yeah, I know a guy like that sort of sense. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And again, the actors, man, everyone brings their A game, which, you know, is a good thing because it makes them relatable. It all comes back mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. And they are uh, charismatic enough and, you know, have different levels of charisma to keep you entertained and to keep you curious about their lives. Uh, dude, yeah, I thank you for showing me this movie, man. This this is this is certainly this is certainly a movie I'm going to have to revisit maybe like, you know, show it to my dad. Exactly. Oh my god. Just tearfully just be just be sitting down with your dad just be like it's so good, right? <laughs> He's like just wipe the tears away. He's like, "Yeah, it's 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 great." <laughs> well, dude, some of the other great stuff about this movie as well is we didn't really talk about it with the cinematography, but I did want to mention the action scenes. Like, first of all, this is not an action movie, but when it does go down that action route, combined with, you know, unique cinematography, interesting editing choices, you get like a real gritty, down-to-earth, like, shoot 'em up scene that it feels trance-like when this movie goes into its violence. And it, but it, well, it feels like trance-like throughout the whole movie, but especially during the action scenes. And it's all a bloody affair and like somewhat slow motion. We get dollar bills falling everywhere. Uh, yeah, it's it, the action in this movie is great. Yeah, you can absolutely see the effect of like that Hong Kong action cinema that we all literally know. Everything from the Kung Fu movies to stuff like John Woo's Hard Boiled and The Killer and stuff like that. You can see it all in these action movies, but or not these these action scenes, but it's so boiled down to its bare necessities and almost Wong Kar Wi-Fi'd because it's it stays with the general ambiance of the movie while keeping that intensity, that sort of knuckle clenching sort of like what's going to happen next sort of action, which I really think is pl- like applaudable. Yeah. This movie made choppy slow-mo, which we've made fun of on this podcast before a great stylistic choice that fucking mm-hmm. works somehow. <laughs> absolutely and Mm -hmm. you know the the choice for like you know quick cuts in the action scene really gives you that like frenetic energy i will say uh that the editing is not flawless though and i'll you'll see why when we get to the negatives because i personally have some negatives i don't don't know if mike has any negatives he's you know i do the fucking wong car y fan club absolutely daddy wong car y where are you at (laughs) You won't te- you won't check my emails. Official messed up at midnight merchandise uh, coming soon with one car wise face on it saying daddy. <laughs> it just says daddy on it. Oh, God. <laughs> well, lastly, man, uh, I want to throw it over to you now to talk about the audio and the music mm-hmm. of this movie. Because I feel like you can oh, do a my much God. better job of describing it than I could. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So this, de- it definitely feels like Wong Kar Wai was was huffing a little bit of electronic music when he was when he was doing this, and you can you can tell because it's dripping all over this movie. It's there's so much good electronic music. You have Karma Coma by Massive Attack, and if you guys are not knowing who Massive Attack is, they are fantastic. It's this very trippy trance like. Um, sort of electronic music. It's called it's it's technically called trip hop, which I think is very fitting for this movie because it befits that sort of trance like motioning 
throughout the entire thing. And what's really great about it is that trance-like sort of flowy motionness all really helps when the audio cuts to something else. It's it's really interesting because what will happen is the movie will have your like flowy, like electronic music in some ways. And then what will happen is when it's going for like a heartbreak scene or something like that, it'll cut to a completely different song with a completely different tempo and a different genre, like these big love ballads uh, of like, Oh my God, I love you so much. Or like these big, like uh, only you and stuff like that. Like it's got these really good moments that completely cut through that trip hoppy sort of air about it, which is really, really good. On top of that, the fact that I had difficulty, like, figuring out the clear stopping points for a lot of these, like, songs, because you're so engrossed in the movie itself, is freaking perfect. That's exactly what you want out of a movie like this. Not knowing when the music is going to stop and even when it does stop you go oh shit the music stopped rather than oh the music has now stopped something's going to happen yeah it does a very good like you said has very good flow very trancey i think yeah th- this movie definitely like there's an audio style to it which i really really like and Mike, I don't know if you have any other positives you wanted to you wanted to mention, but let's see if we can piss off a couple of movie nerds by mm-hmm. talking about some negatives with this movie. Let's get negative. And I'll start off by saying I kind of mentioned it earlier. This movie takes multiple watches over a few days to really like a pre to get to get it on the level that I think you need to. And that's just not easy for a lot of moviegoers. It does take a bit of dedication to fully grasp the picture that Wong Kar Wai is painting with this movie. And that's just naturally going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. Like you need time to Mm -hmm. process the movie and really catch on like what things mean. Like for instance, before this podcast, I watched it. I watched Fallen Angels again, and I was like, just catching like just little things, like the uh, the man child character stealing a role from the restaurant owner as they watch a videotape. Then the two start sharing it as a sign of friendship. Like those little things that like they don't really add they they don't add anything to like the story and the plot, whatever there is of the movie. But it's just a nice little character moment where you're like, oh wow, that's really that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that is going to be my biggest uh knock for this movie is that this movie is is absolutely demanding of you to watch it again. This movie has no it, it doesn't give a shit about your time. It is here you are like it's like you're going to watch this movie, you're going to understand this movie, and then you're going to watch it again and understand it even more. Like it's it is an absolute commitment. And for the average person, that is not interesting. They do not want that. The average person is here. They're like, you got me for 90 minutes to 100. And you better fucking wow me. Like, which is, again, a tough sell. And Wong Kar Wai has no interest in that. He's not catering to that audience. So I think that's going to turn off a lot of people. 
But it honestly, if you are willing to absorb something twice, boy, do we have a movie for you. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the movies we cover on this show, it's a movie you can, you know, sit with your friends, have on in the background, you know, cut, you know, talk shit, you know, as you're watching it. With this movie, you got to put the phone down, tell your friends to fuck off and sit down and like properly watch this movie, you know, with a little nice mm-hmm. little glass of like whiskey or gin or whatever you like to drink on a, just and just watch it. Like you do like do not use this movie as the movie to get your friends into like, you know, cinema or like, you know, more auteur cinema. Don't use this movie you know, we've talked about Drive, we talked about Memento, talk about those. Save this for way down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is absolutely not your like this is this is a terrible jump. This is the equivalent of like grabbing them by the head and like football punting them into the deep end of a pool. Like this is this is a lot. <laughs> this is it's it's gonna it's it's a lot. It's I, I don't think that they're gonna hate it, but they're definitely gonna go. That was a little too much for me. I'm going to step the fuck back. It's, it, which is absolutely what you don't want if you're trying to get your friends into like that sort of high art cinema. Which brings me to another point, which kind of plays off the other point that we said. This movie is so fucking artsy. Oh my God. It really is. It is, dude. It is like. <laughs> It's this is the equivalent of going to that super fancy cocktail bar and the person makes you something so good. You're like, I feel guilty drinking this. I'm going to be honest with you. I feel guilty then, drinking this. And then fucking charges you $40 for like eight for like, you know, four ounces. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's so, so artsy. And it's there's so much there. It's so deep. Like, there's a reason a lot of those high-end restaurants don't give you a lot of food. It's because what little food they give you, there's a lot to say. Which is, hey, that's great. That's so cool. So awesome. Oh my god, it's going to piss so many people off. Oh my god, it's so in its ass sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people are going to hate the way that this movie is structured narratively or lack thereof. Like, that's just going to piss off a lot of people or just flat out leave them bored. And that's the Mm -hmm. stuff, like, the stuff we like about this movie and the stuff that, like, you know, movie critics or, like, you know, people who love art house cinema like about this movie are the negatives for a bit more of, like, a, a casual audience. Which, you know, oh, yeah. that's a bad thing. It just it just is. Absolutely, absolutely. This movie is this movie is one of those lock your phone in a safe and forget the passcode style movies. Like you can't sit there and just be like cruising Instagram and going like, oh, it's uh what happened now? Okay, he's talking with the guy on the bus. Cool. Like you can't do that. You cannot fucking do that. That does not work. Which, yeah, which does not work for a lot of people. And I will also say that with movies like Fallen Angels, there are points where this movie drags. There are some mm-hmm. shots in this movie that they hold on for a bit too long. And I, I think just like tightening up on some scenes, like end a few shots, just a few frames earlier, which if you do that for every single scene, it will cut down on your runtime a lot. You know, it would have made this movie fly by a lot quicker. There was one shot in particular where it's like, um, What's the care? What's the fucking character's name? Let's see if I can get this right. Uh, Ho Chi Mo and uh, Charlie, they're sitting in this like restaurant 
and it's just like the background. There's like a, <laughs> a voiceover going on, and they just hold on that shot. Like as I was like eating my dinner before we recorded, I left the movie on. I went in. I you know washed my meal prep container. You know put it up dry and everything. And I came back, and it was like still holding on that shot, and it held on it for like a full minute. I'm like, did did that shot need to be that long? Mm-hmm. Only one Cart mm-hmm. Y can answer and explain like, hey, this is why this shot was that long. Did it help out the audience? Eh, I don't think so. Mike, what do you think? Uh, I agree. I agree. There are there are a few of those moments where I'm kind of sitting there going, okay, we get the point, dude. It's a kick-ass shot. Like, I, I, I do agree. I do agree with you, but I also understand where Wong Kar is coming from with the, like, some of these shots that he holds on because they're so fucking gorgeous. Like, you, you, you can sit there and, like, give him the credit for much longer than most, like, shots, but there is a certain point where you're like, okay, bud, it's a great shot. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. And I think that one where it's Charlie and Ho Chi Mo just sitting there, just like just just that very melancholy sort of like look. Mm-hmm. I am kind of like, okay, that was 30 seconds too long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what you could do is just put like, you know, subway surfer, you know, videos just on like one side it's, of the screen it, just to keep them entertained, just to keep the audience just, entertained. Just a little bit of, exactly, dude. Uh, just imagine you're sitting there watching that beautiful scene and it's them just like, just like lounging, very melancholy. And then you just see like, like family guy in the bottom left corner, just start up. <laughs> well, man, were there any other negatives that you wanted to touch on with this movie? Well, uh, no, no. Let's get into the overalls. Let's fucking do it. Uh, like like we said, if you're an experienced moviegoer and you haven't seen this movie, definitely check this one out. It's beautifully shot, well executed, and will leave you thinking about it for days to come. If you're not as experienced, maybe skip this one, then come back once you've sat through, I don't fucking know, The Lobster and like some similar art house films. If you don't like those other art house movies, then this one's just not then this one's not your jam and that's okay. Then I think you will be, you know, once you get through a few art house movies, I think you'll be able to properly enjoy this movie, you know, like I said on a rainy Saturday night when you got nothing going on, pour yourself some nice gin and get ready to experience this movie. I think this one's definitely like a solo viewing. Tell your friends to fuck off, watch this movie. I couldn't agree more. My overall is Fallen Angels is a is an artsy movie and a very woe is me movie. Mm-hmm. Not in the I'm sad, feel bad for me, please clap, but in the yeah, these characters are really freaking broken and they're and things are not going well for them. But it's a very human experience, I feel like, watching this movie. Mm-hmm. It manages to take woe is me and stick the landing in a really, really cool sense. Mm -hmm. And it's really touching as a result. The movie is very much of this idea of embrace the moment, embrace the, the the people around you, all of that stuff. And I agree with my co-host. Don't watch this with drugs or your buddies in the area like i would even say don't be drunk watching this movie this is a solo viewing with a a glass 
of a liquor. And that's it. Like, you cut it off after one glass. Like, it is that, it goes that deep for me. Like, I'm like, this is a good fucking movie that you kind of just need to sit with. You definitely just need to sit with. Yeah, and guys, I think if you do that, you'll you'll find a movie that, like, you'll really want to come back to. Uh, but anyways, guys, we're going to be getting into spoilers now. So go watch this movie. And once you're done crying, wipe away those tears and let's talk about some spoilers. So, Mike, which one do you want to touch on first? Do you want to touch on the hitman? Do you want to touch on uh, Ho Chi Mo and his dad? Or do you want to just focus in just on the actual ending of the movie? So the ending, I want to be the very last thing. Uh, okay. Let's do let's do the hitman first. Okay, why don't you let's, run, yeah. let's run? What do you, what do you think of that ending? So the ending with the hitman, I feel like is as time progressed with watching the movie, you kind of start to realize that like, oh, this guy's not getting out of this life. Mm-hmm. You you kind of watch him. He said he again, the first thing he says is I'm lazy. I like having people pick things out for me. I like people making the decisions for me. And I think that this is his best scenario because he ends his whole thing with the same monologue he made initially, which was I'm lazy. I like people making decisions for me, but he's also happy where he goes, but I'm happy that decision, the decision was mine, Mm -hmm. which I think honest to God is it's of the two of the two character endings that this is my least favorite one, but I still Mm -hmm. think it's a very good ending because he goes out on his terms. He said, you know what? It's not the best, but it is. And that makes me happy. Yeah, he's like, I made the bed. Now I got to lie in it. But I'm, but now I am finally making the choice. You know, I am choosing mm-hmm. to die. No, exactly. No one else, me. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's great. Yeah. And dude, I think on the other end, looking at uh, Ho Chi Mo's death, the uh, man child, watching the setup with his dad. And, you know, we see the father-son bonding time. You know, it's like it feels like very much a real relationship between a father and son. And then Ho- and then Ho Chi Mo uh, having to pack up the, you know, his dad's bag and monologuing about how his dad died. Like, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. And because his father died, sending him spiraling into going back to his criminal ways and then, you know, getting completely ignored uh, by Charlie – and, you know, the woman he fell in love with doesn't even bother to recognize him when he goes back to his seedy ways. You know, I, I really just want to just tell him, like, dude, listen, we've all been there, bro. Look, mm-hmm. Here's what you got to do. We cry it out, drink cheap beer, eat some Little Caesars pizza in your underwear, mindlessly swipe right on Tinder, hop, you know, hoping to find meaning in the silence. And then, you know, once, <laughs> the, once that weekend's done, you know, you, you'll get over it. Trust me, man. You're all set. Exactly. You're like, you're like the, the little Caesar's pretzel pizza really carries you through those tough times. But <laughs> all, all, all jokes aside, like the fe- that ending with him and his dad, it's just that is one of my favorite heartbreaking scenes in cinema 
is mm-hmm. his dad has passed. He's sitting there with all the bags packed. He's eating ice cream, which is which is great symbolism from Wong Kar Wai with the whole his mother died in an ice cream truck, getting hit by an ice cream truck. And he's sitting there watching the single videotape that he's taking with him. And it's of his dad. And you see the bringing in of that big, loud sort of ballad. Dude. Oh my God. Tears. Like the, like I had cried intermittently throughout. I had like choked up and all that dude. Tears, just tears. Yeah. It's, it's just a heartbreaking uh, scenario. You know, I try to make jokes about it, but, you know, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's just sad. Exactly. Especially because I think the reason it hits harder as well is because the character is the chipper one. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that he's the chipper one of the two guy characters really feels like that much more of a kick in the teeth. Like... Mm-hmm. I feel like from from a heartbreak perspective. Yeah, but then throughout, despite all the melancholy with the ending between, um, uh, sorry, uh, Ho Chi Mo, the the man child and um, the woman, uh, seeing them <laughs> riding together in the in the tunnel, like I don't know, it just just seeing that, seeing these two people who you know both lost somebody and you know are both now back to their you know lonely ways watching the two of them ride off together it gave me like this weird mixture of like melancholy and hope of me being listening there being like you know what yeah life sucks but that's okay exactly i think it, it i have truth be told i've rewatched this ending so many times it's such a fantastic ending to a movie Two characters who have lost so much in their lives, who are emotionally just stripped bare, just find solace in each other, and they're riding off in their motorbike into the unknown. It's that it's this very awkward, bittersweet, melancholy romance sort of thing that I absolutely just adore. I think is fucking fantastic. Yeah. And if we need any more visual symbolism with this movie near the end is the first time we see any light peeking through the sky. So, you know, mm-hmm. very poetic. Mm-hmm. Take with that what you will. Uh, Mike, I'm, I'm not sure if there's anything else you wanted to touch on at the it. ending of this movie. Uh, but yeah, it. If you got through this, why? If you got through this and, you know, you haven't seen the movie, first of all, why? Second of all, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Messed Up at Midnight podcast. Go follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. You guys know the deal. Stay up to date with what we got going on. And um, yeah, go check out Fallen Angels. And if you and you know, go watch it again. Why not? Uh, Mike, do you have anything that you want to add? Videotape your family and friends. Uh, go watch Fallen Angels. Yeah, guys. Well, anyways, we'll see y'all next week. See you next week, everybody. <laughs>